Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Eric Johnson talking about some of the biggest decisions our teenagers make in their lives and how the way those decisions are presented to them and the way they think about those decisions makes a huge impact on what they ultimately choose. During our teenage years, we're making some of the biggest choices in our lives that really have a huge effect on where we're going to go and what we're going to do. Choices about who to hang out with, how to spend our time, what to be interested in, what to study, what kind of careers are interesting to us, what colleges, where we want to, where we see ourselves ending up in our lives and even just for the next few years. And those kind of things profoundly shape the direction that our lives go in. But we don't often think about how the manner in which those choices are presented to us can have a massive impact on what we actually end up choosing. Well, Eric Johnson researches that very phenomenon. He's written a book on the topic called The Elements of Choice, Why the Way We Decide Matters. Eric is a professor of business and director for the Center of Decision Studies at Columbia Business School. He has been the president of both the Society for Judgment and Decision-Making and the Society for Neuroeconomics. In today's episode, we're gonna talk about the different types of paths people can take through an important decision and why the path that we choose to take when we're considering different options has a huge impact on what we ultimately decide. We're going to look at the decision-making process recommended by Benjamin Franklin. We'll see why the two goals of making any decision, making it easily and making the right choice are often in conflict with each other, but they don't have to be. We're also going to look at ease and how easy a decision feels can have a huge effect on what we decide. We'll look at the importance of order and the order that choices are presented to us when we're making a decision is very, very important too. We'll look at goals and we'll look at the characteristics that we sort our options by when we're making a decision. Ultimately, we'll see a handful of different strategies that parents can use when we're helping our teenagers through the biggest decisions that they'll make in their adolescent years and We'll see how we can guide them to consider different options and to hopefully make a better choice. Really, really excited to talk about all of that and a whole lot more. Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You have written a book that I love called The Elements of Choice, Why the Way We Decide Matters. And 
it really has got me thinking about a lot of the big choices that we make as teenagers and how you know, we make some big decisions in those years that really shape the whole course of our lives. And we don't think too much, I think, or too often about kind of the way those choices are presented to us and how that can make a big influence on what we decide and then ultimately where we go in our life. And so really love that. Can you talk at all just about how'd you get into this topic or why are you writing a book about the way that we make decisions? Andy, it's really been fun because I've been teaching about decision-making for a number of years now. And what was fun about this is realizing about halfway through the, that 30 years or so, that actually the way you present choices to people was one of the big tools that we used to study choice. And then a light bulb appeared and other friends thought the same thing too and saying, you know, if you can change what people choose, you actually can make, help them choose better by yeah. presenting them choices in a way that works. So that was sort of the highlight. When I first started doing this, I'll tell you a story that's pretty relevant to your audience. It was a president of foundation I was visiting and he said, oh, I got it. It's like my three-year-old. I actually ha had to ask her, I'd fight with her terribly. Do you want to go to bed? She'd say, no. Then I started asking her, do you want to fly into bed or do you want to bounce into bed? And then all of a sudden she made a choice and there were no more fights. Now, <laughs> your audience has older kids, but that that is a relevant story, I think. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many times we don't even realize it, but we're encouraging a choice or making it hard to make a choice when if we presented things differently, it might go a little different. That's right. And the other thing is often we present choices and do these things to the people we're trying to help without realizing we could be helping them do better or maybe we're accidentally helping them do worse. So it's actually something we're doing all the time without realizing it. Here's something I found really fascinating. You do these eye tracking, these experiments with an eye tracker, looking at how kind of the path that people follow when they're kind of trying to assess a couple different options of which one they should go with. And as presented on the screen, like there's these kind of two components of each choice. And so the differences, are they kind of comparing one to the other and then one to the other, or are they looking at the whole both components of choice one and thinking about those and then going over to both components of choice two and thinking about those. And I thought this was really interesting. Can you talk a little about what's the difference and why, I mean, why does that even matter what path the people's eyes are taking as they're considering a, a choice like that? Really interesting question. And part of it is, let me just step back for, to put it in context for some of your listeners. They may know the famous marshmallow experiments what's done by my, my friend, the late Walter Michel where he'd give you either one marshmallow now or two marshmallows later. And these choices are essentially like that. They're essentially get an Amazon gift certificate for say $40 now or $50 in two weeks. Mm -hmm. So it's like that you have something really good right now or really better, but you have to learn to wait. And so that's the, the setup. And that's why it's so interesting that the way people choose helps decide what they're going to pick. And most of us think is that waiting in that case is better. Why? Because you're going to get more money. And actually, if we calculate interest rates, it's a really good. Yeah, rate. yeah. It's, it's a great return on your exactly. one week of waiting. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. So what we were interested in is we noticed people did this one of two ways. As you said, they, well, let, let me make it more explicit. They look at the $40 and they look at the fact they can get it now, something we call integrating. 
And then okay. they look at the $50 and say it's a week. Or they compare the $40 to the $50 and the fact they have to wait a week. So we can use a machine or you can actually do this also with their mouse tracking and see what they're looking at, which of those two paths they follow. In the book, I call these plausible paths because that's really what it is. You have to figure out, sort of like in a supermarket, you have to figure out what path you go through. All decisions are like a supermarket, right? You got to figure out which aisles you go to. So here are the people who compare the money turn out to be a lot more patient than the people who look at the money and think about the time. And our thought is that if I look at the $40 and thinking about it now, I'm done. I know what I'm going to do with the $40. And when I eventually get around to look at the 50, I go, well, yeah, that's a little bit more money. Yeah, yeah. But when I compare the money, I go, oh my God, I'm losing $10 by not waiting. And so that's why the path, how you make the comparison, really how you're thinking about the decision makes a big difference. Interesting. Yeah. And does that that same pattern plays out in all kinds of decisions that we make probably that what do you integrating versus comparing no but think about a decision that's and probably a decision we can talk about more later kids deciding what college to go to yeah 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 yeah. i mean this know, one i kept in, thinking they about that fall in throughout one, the book right they can fall in one college or they can start doing comparison and that's that's a very those are two very different ways of approaching that decision right or yeah i mean because yeah you go to a visit and you go to a school and you learn all about the school and you start really picturing yourself there and you really integrate everything about that kind of that one place and then you go look at the next one and you do a whole thing and learn all about that one and it strikes me that a lot of the ways that we are kind of programmed to or that we typically go about like a college search is kind of that integrating technique and yeah right and that's partly a good example of what i mean when i talk about choice architecture choice design the whole process is built to make thinking about being at one place easier and make it it harder to compare so i mean i my niece just went through this situation this and you know it was basically clearly she was falling in love with whatever college she'd visited last and then you sort of say well but you want to be this kind of you wanted this major it's not so good there but it was such a pretty campus right and i'm not saying pretty campuses are important but it was more important to her because she saw the whole experience at once I think that's so interesting. And yeah, it just really gets me thinking about that or even thought, thinking about what our options are as teenagers. And it feels a lot it like limited sometimes, or I definitely felt that as that like, now looking back, it's like, wow, I could have done so many things. The world is totally open to me. And there's a million things I could have been doing as a teenager that probably would have inspired me or that could have been cool. But for some reason, I like wasn't even thinking kind of outside of the box it was just like so focused on hey school and then there's a couple extracurriculars that are you know available through school there's a few sports that everyone's doing there's a couple different kind of after school activities you could do and like that's it <laughs> that's what there is that's right yeah it's interesting to really start thinking about what options are available and then the way we consider those options is so important and think about this that somebody's usually deciding consciously or unconscious which of those options you see so that I know for my own college choice, somebody, one of my classmates said, oh, you're really underselling yourself. You consider these other schools. And, you know, I came from a family. I was first generation college. So to me, obviously going to the state school was the obvious thing to do and probably the most likely thing to do. Yeah. And I ended up actually going 
to the state school and having a good time. If I had had different parents who didn't have the background my parents had, or if I had someone to say, well, you know, you could try these other schools, I might have included them. So even then, this who, without knowing it, people were influencing me simply by pointing out options that I didn't know existed. And I think for, for lots of choices for teenagers, the biggest thing that determines those choices is knowing they have options. Yeah, just being aware. Yeah, and so kids who come from you know first-generation college backgrounds have very different choice sets than other kids who whose parents have gone to college for many decades. When you're talking about the plausible paths, you talk about fluency. Yes. And then you also talk about memory. How do those things factor into the kind of the paths that we're deciding when we're making a choice? Well, let's start with fluency because it really fits well into the the Amazon gift certificate or marshmallow study okay, we were just yeah. talking about. It turns out that, yeah, we know these paths make a difference. You can be more patient if you compare. So one of the things we're interested in, is that because people compare are different? And so what we started doing is making it easier or harder to do some kinds of comparisons or some kind of integration. So that's what we mean by fluency. What's easy for you to do? What path is easiest? And that's one of the way the people who present choices can influence us. They make certain kinds of information easier to see than others. And so in that case, we just literally would delay seeing the information by psychologists have this term milliseconds, uh, thousands of a second. So okay. we delay it by half a second and we change the strategy. And what's interesting by changing their plat path we actually make them more patient. So wow. one of the things that's really powerful is by making some information easier for people to click on, on the web or to read on paper, you actually have influenced their plausible paths. And the point, which is really serious, is that will have some effect on what they choose. So that's fluency. And it, it turns out we're pretty lazy, particularly at the beginning of decisions. We decide how we're going to make a decision yeah, and it's all over. We stick with that. It's like a GPS. Well, especially when there's something with so many options. Like Absolutely. We have to find a way to just get rid of a right. bunch of options and sort of narrow it down and focus or something. And The more complicated the choice is, the bigger this influence of fluency is. So that that's right. So that's really important. And so you often end up putting little costs in the way of somebody. I'll tell you one example. I don't even know if it's in the book, but it's actually quite relevant to so talking about college choice. It turns out the state of Michigan essentially told a bunch of kids who were not, who were essentially not well off yeah. that they all, all of them would have gotten scholarships, right? They were poor enough. They would have gotten scholarships to the University of Michigan, but nobody applied. What the program did was say, you have a scholarship, mm. which it all did anyway, but making that, sort of the option that what they knew about doubled, if I recall correctly, the number of kids who went to Michigan. Wow. So these things, and it's not when they didn't give you the scholarship at first that they had thought this, oh, this keeps people down. They just, that was the way it was always done. So by just right. making the default saying, if you get good enough grades, you're in with a full scholarship, it changed kids' college behavior a lot. I've been thinking about a lot during high school. I just kind of really struggled in high school and finding like what 
was felt authentic to me and being feeling bored and kind of trapped and like, I don't know, wasn't doing what I wanted to be doing, but this is just kind of what we have to be doing. And I really saw it as like, Hey, there's the public school we go to. And then there's like one private school. And I thought about it actually ended up spending a couple of years at each of them. And I was like, that was the extent of, I thought that the options that were open to me at the time, because I got to graduate from high school and these are kind of my two choices. And I don't really like either of them that much. And now kind of thinking back to that, I'd realize like how, how limited I was thinking in terms of this, what other, I guess, even just really alternative things I could have been doing or anything, I guess, but that already sort of blocked off everything else and made it a choice of how I have to choose between these two places. And then the classes that are offered to me there, and then here's what we have to do to graduate. And so here's, I guess, here's what I got to do. So this is what I got kind of, and yeah, I just wonder how we can kind of help our kids to like expand their like thinking or possibility somehow. Yeah. So Andy, did anyone ever say, you know, we'd love that person be the guidance counselor at school, but they usually have you know hundreds of kids that they're counseling, quote unquote. They're so overwhelmed. Yeah. But, but someone like that could say, what schools you're thinking and then add, say, oh, you might think of X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Like, you know, in my case, someone said, oh, you're going to go, you're thinking about going to Montclair State, which was a fun, perfectly fine local college. But, you know, I ended up going to Rutgers, which was, for me, a, a much better fit. So that p- person who suggested that in the set could make a big difference. If you had had an aunt or an uncle or a parent saying, oh, write down three more schools, there might have been a change, a different Andy out there. This is a perfectly great Andy, obviously. Yeah, I like that. Even just having a someone who even just pushes you to go add some more to that list or think through some more kind of possibilities or more options. But then it's like, where do you even go to find those and how that will influence what I remember looking up lists of like, what's the best party schools and like, what's what's the schools with the best weather? And like, Cause like, I don't know. <laughs> These are the things that are important to me at 17 years old. I'm like, oh, sunshine and fun. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, what like the whatever it was coming up on Google when I searched the best party schools, best weather, they was what I was adding to my list of mental options. And what comes up on Google, it seems like a party school can change. And of course you can change too. Yeah. Yeah, totally. There's a great story. We're talking a lot about college choice now, but apparently when, if you, you wouldn't remember, but Doug Flutie was this eventual NFL quarterback famous, but he's very famous. He was at Boston College and he threw a pass that, you know, was very famous. That year, the number of people who applied to Boston College went up 70%. <laughs> now, I that maybe made it a slightly better party school for a year, but even if that's what you were looking for, other schools were still great party schools. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just what and you mentioned memory. It's what comes to mind because now when you say, gee, where should you go to college? Oh, there's BC because that's where Flutie went. And I think that's also a big factor too is, or if you're in the communities that you're in or your um, parents and friends and the people at school have like mentioned certain colleges or mentioned certain careers often as like the good things or the good jobs or the good things that you should be wanting. Then when you think of, yeah, what do I want to do? those things are going to be just come to mind more easily or something. And, uh, well, actually there's little thousands of colleges. There's an, an infinite number of things you could do for your career, but we kind of think of these like five options as being kind of what, what comes to mind for us that are this, the things we've been most exposed to or that we've heard more often or something. And it's hard to 
break out of that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because a lot of what we think of when you think about role models or family tradition actually work this way. You know, you it's the people you see, yep. where did they go to school? Yeah, you know? yeah, and right. unintentionally, this is the point, it's unintentionally, they're basically becoming choice architects. They're saying, by the sweatshirts they wear, right? they're suggesting schools. So, I mean, it's throughout all sorts of choices teens make, but the, the, that's a really good example. Well, and there might be actually a lot of that instinct as a parent. You, know, you kind of want your kid to go to the school you went to if you had a good time there, and it's an important part of your identity and who you are. How cool would that be to carry on the legacy and have them kind of follow in your footsteps or it's really makes you proud if they want to be in the same career as you kind of, or do some of the same things as you. And so I think we kind of also then unconsciously sort of present choices in such a way to get them to, to choose that. That's right. That's right. And sometimes you might have had like an okay experience at the school, but still it's a school that your daughter or son would know about. You talk about Franklin. Joseph Priestley was asking for Franklin's advice on an important choice. And this is, I remember reading Benjamin Franklin's autobiography, and he kind of talks about this the system in there of, of pros and cons. And I've seen it referenced a number of times, but you bring up kind of a different aspect of it. Why do you think it's important to look at how Benjamin Franklin made important decisions? If there's a quote that's a decision-making quote about Franklin that people know about, it's this quote. Yeah. And Priestley was essentially trying to decide whether to take a job or not. And he said, you know, of course, luckily they were writing letters, so we know what it was. If it had been, if it had been phone calls, we wouldn't have known any of this. Yep. But he wrote a letter saying, what should I do, Ben? And he said, I can't tell you what you should do, but I can tell you how you should decide. Mm. And the advice, which is pretty famous, it's sometimes even called Franklin's rule, is you write down on a piece of paper all the goods and bads of one option, and then all the goods and bads for another option. And that makes sense. Then he asks you to weight them. A little bit like what we were doing earlier when we we're comparing the gift certificates, right? We can look at how, how much fun school, school A is or how much, what friends of mine are going to school B. So we have that list. But what is hidden in that, and never printed when people have that quote, is he's something else. Is over a day, different things will come to mind advantages of the first option and yeah. advantage of the second option. And that's really what, what a great story about how memory influences choice. Yep. It's not just remembering the schools, but also remembering their advantages or disadvantages, or if we think about jobs, advantages and disadvantages. And when we think about one, we tend to suppress the other. It's Everything actually else gets, Yeah, yeah, the one thing Like I'll just the name for this called inhibition, right? Okay. Well, I'm thinking about A, I don't think about B. In fact, yeah. I try hard not to think about, about it. So, you know, I, I think this is actually really relevant when kids are trying to make decisions about what to buy. One thing they often do is they say, oh, I really want that, go to that concert, or yeah. I really want to do this. And what they're not doing is saying, but I could use that money, what same else? money, yeah. to do something else. Mm. And so what Franklin said is basically, wait a day, keep scribbling. And then once you're done with the list after a couple of days, then you make the decision. And so I have friends, adult friends who sort of say, I've saved them lots of money because whenever they're going clothes shopping, they go and say, yes, but I could use that money to do something else. 
and then that makes them, you know, that would be better. And so they actually do a, a better job. So that's the equivalent of sort of, of Franklin telling Priestley, write down the goods and the bads of both options, but spread that time out over a couple of days. We're here today with Eric Johnson talking about how parents can help teenagers through some of the most impactful decisions they'll make in their lives. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. There are people in New York who hire essentially the equivalent of, of a high school counselor for their grade school kids. Right. Yeah. Or they talk about it at cocktail parties, who knows? But they know what the good schools are. But you know, I talked about a kid who was very super smart, who ended up going to a school that was probably not even close to the best school he could have gotten into because he was just overwhelmed. They didn't know how the system worked. Yeah. And, you know, I think about all the kids in the U.S. that are actually making high school choices. That's probably almost as important or even more important than your college choice because, face it, mo- more kids go to high school than go to college. And and that's a big determinant. And in New York, they you know, the schools of very different schools can be right next to each other. And, you know, there are 13 different characters to each school that's listed. I don't know how those kids make the choice. Not well, often. People don't realize it has such an influence, but it does. And one of the reasons is nobody sees both forms. In one case, the the end-of-life care form had the save-me-no-matter-what defaults yeah. pre-checked. In the other case, it was just make-me-comfortable defaults. And if I looked at both, I, then I sort of would not know what to do, but I can only get one set of defaults. Right. And I'm too busy making a choice. And this is a tough choice, the hardest perhaps we have to make. Yeah. And I, so I don't think of what would happen if they check the other box? We just mm. don't have the time to do that. We're too busy making the choice to actually think about the designer. What were they trying to do when they made the choice? The same thing's true at websites. But let me sort of give you a very simple choice that has a huge effect on adults and probably is relevant to most kids' choices. If you don't have too many options, it turns out it's usually better to be first. One of the places we know this is from elections. Even though in this world, people hate the other party, we're all very (laughs) polarized. It turns out whoever's first on the ballot gets a a boost. And that boost, when it turns out in lots of states, that's determined by the governor. But it turns out there are some states where you actually have to vary the order, literally randomly ordered from different voting districts. And from those states, we know the person who's first can have an advantage, like it's 2% in most elections. So that's just a really good example of, in many cases, being first is better, particularly if it's a list, a small list written, then you're just going to read it. But being first, you ask yourself the question, you know, why is A better than B? Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.